Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Math Max Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Thanheiser, Dusty Jones, and I'm Joel Amadon. Today, we are talking with Dr. Dorothy Y. White, who is a professor in the Department of Mathematics and Science Education at the University of Georgia. We are talking to Dr. White because she received the Karen D. King Excellent in Advocacy Award, Excellence in Advocacy Award at the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators Annual Conference in February. She gave a fantastic talk, and we wanted to continue that conversation, share a little bit of that conversation here on the podcast today. So welcome, Dorothy. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, and we are joined by uh, Ava. Ava, how are you doing today? Excellent. Thanks for checking in. Fantastic. And Dusty? I'm really excited to be here. Uh, excited about this conversation. Yeah. So Dorothy, just again, thankful that you were uh, willing to take the time. I know it's a busy time. We're in, uh, I, I know for us, we're in finals season. So a little bit yeah. extra stress and things like that, but maybe this is a good time for a, a conversation. So if you wanted to um, start us off by let us know, how did you start teaching math teachers? I started teaching um, math teachers um, during my doctoral program at the University of Maryland College Park. My advisor wanted me to get my feet wet before taking a job teaching methods courses. So I shadowed him for one semester. And then I started teaching the following two semesters. And I'm so glad I had that experience because when I took my first job, really my only job here at the University of Georgia, I already had experience teaching methods. So I had plans, I had activities, and I was able to hit the ground running. Who was your advisor at Maryland? Martin Johnson, Dr. Johnson. Oh, fantastic. And so, um, I mean, and I'm going to go a little bit out over here. So like from that experience, mm -hmm. what would you like to have known when you first started teaching math te teachers? So what, maybe what was, uh, Dr. Johnson, what, what is the best advice maybe you received as you first dove into that experience? So I think I'd like to have known that you can adjust your plans to meet the needs of your students. Mm. Um, I really thought that a good um, teacher, as with any teacher, has plans, knows what's the curriculum, we're ready to cover it, and that I would be great if I covered everything that I planned. Little did I know that I wasn't paying any attention to my students <laughs> because um, I had stuff to cover. And it wasn't really until I started working with classroom teachers that I started hearing myself say, well, you need to adjust your plans and make sure that what you teach, you teach well. And so that's something that I wish I'd learned before, like early, like someone saying that I needed to hear that. The best advice, can I answer that one now too? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's the best advice you received? Best advice, believe it or not, has been at AMT. Hmm. And some of the sessions, so I remember a session that Randy Phillip gave when he got an excellence in something award. And he said how important it was to let his pre-service teachers know when he wanted to listen, wanted them to listen from a teacher perspective. And that's been great advice because I find that my students are engaging in things as a learner. 
Mm. And unless I say explicitly, okay, I want you to put on your teacher hat and think about some of the ways that I'm um, engaging or asking questions, then they start paying attention. A second advice was a session that Marilyn Instructions did when she talked about she gave a midterm survey to her students instead of waiting until the end for evaluation to check in to see how they were doing. Well, I didn't do that because one, I didn't really want to know what they thought of and I would have to change just being um, you know, as open as possible. But I have learned, especially now, the importance of doing a check-in. So I do a five-minute check-in and it's voluntary for my students to just say, let them know where they stand in the course, if they have any questions, and then asking something personal, like what's a fun thing you do when you're not in class? Mm. Sort of getting that. And then the last thing um, I learned from the National Center for Faculty Development of Diversity, FC, the NCFDD. Yeah, yeah. And that is that um, some of the webinars, there was one on no time to teach and really the importance of thinking about my assignments differently. So I think about, well, what's the purpose? Is it to, um, is it course preparation? Is it skill development? Is it feedback? And so then I look at all my assignments and I say, what's the real goal here? And then the next thing is, well, how do I want them to um, provide their papers? Do I want papers? Do I want Flipgrids? Do I want Google Forms? Mm. And lastly, what kind of feedback? Do I always need to give written feedback? Can I play around and do a video or um, adjust an audio? Do I need a smiley face? So that's been really helpful in thinking about my teaching in a way that's more effective, but also that's paying attention more to the students. Wow, you gave some golden nuggets right there. That was Thank awesome. You. I mean, the the whole, and I mean, you hit on a frustration that I'll have sometimes is like my, you know, teacher candidates they're in class with me and maybe the juniors it's their first classes in the school of education and you know sometimes i get frustrated i'm like gosh they're they're acting like students they're gonna they're teachers <laughs> and it's like i've never asked them to or never told like they've never like you know they've never had to do that they haven't even been in a field experience yet and i'm like mm-hmm. frustrated like gosh they're just acting like a student and i need them to think like t-. and it's but to be explicit like that that's that's amazing i and I love that you mentioned the NCFDD, National mm-hmm. Center for Faculty, what is it, Development and Diversity? But Faculty, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're associated with, I mean, I know here at the University of Mississippi, and maybe this is something that we, we just have, but I'm, I'm assuming more other institutions would have it. If you're associated with an institution, they might have a institutional membership. So that. Yes, you know, we that's how a, I, we have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could put a link in the show notes just in case if your, if your institution has a, a, a membership, that's a. A nice resource. I know I've taken advantage of some of those courses. Uh, I need to look up this one, the No Time to Teach one, but like just having some of that uh, expertise is kind of similar to what we're capturing here in the podcast. It's like, what does this look like being a faculty member? And, and what are some of the, the golden nuggets of advice that we should gather? And they've, they've got a, a plethora of it. So that's excellent. Thank you. Nice. So Dorothy, your, uh, the good advice you were listing made me think of some other things. I remember when I was in my doctoral program, and I think it was the first experience I had sitting in kind of observing 
uh, a methods class and John Lannon was teaching it. And he would take these periods of time when he would say, okay, it's time for T-L-A-T, think like a teacher. And he would do this regularly mm. where the students would reflect on that. And I, I had not thought about the importance of having those students, you know, kind of shift their, their mental perspective on that. And then I, I really like what you mentioned about thinking about what kind of feedback Mm -hmm. uh, do I need to give to my students? And I've, I've been all over the board with this in all of my different courses. Uh, but I remember one semester I was teaching a, a content slash methods course and the students would do homework and they would get completion credit, but I would still look over that these, uh, problems and, and, you know, see if I needed to comment on them, but mostly I was just giving a happy face, uh, mm -hmm. writing a happy face on there. And some students, when I got my evaluations at the end of the semester, some students really liked that. And some students really did not. <laughs> One yeah. student, you know, said he just gives his papers to his four-year-old and she draws happy faces on them, which was, <laughs> which was not completely true. I mean, sometimes she wanted to help dad grade and I'd say, just put a happy face on there. And so it just, I need to think about my students when I'm giving feedback even about how mm -hmm. to do that. <laughs> now, unfortunately, they don't. Um, early in my career, I gave a lot of feedback. And then you start realizing they didn't read it, or some of them really read it. And so I'm really um, clear up front that this assignment is going to be graded for participation, and this is what I'm looking for. And then these are the assignments that really want that I'm going to um, do heavy with feedback. Sure. But also the stamina, by the end of the semester, you're exhausted, If, um, which is another reason you have to think about, well, what's the purpose of this assignment, right? Sometimes right. we have too many. And um, yeah, that's the right point. I think another point that's, that uh, comes to mind is I realized that the age of my children also determined or spilled over in my classes. And what I mean by that, when my kids were really young, I did a lot of hand-holding mm. with my students, right? Mm -hmm. I gave them all of these chances to do it again, and um, they loved it, right? It was, you know, just try it. But as they got older, especially middle school and high school, it was, I was realizing that I, I need them to be more independent because they're going to teach real kids. Mm-hmm in a couple of years and demanding more, but also being clear that um, I needed to be clear about why I'm demanding it and that they might not know at that point, but that is important for them to understand that I'm getting you ready for a teacher. So I, when I email them now, it's high future teachers, just getting them a new identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So I wanted to, you know, talk to you about um, you're being the first awardee of the Karen D. King Excellence and Advocacy Award. What did it mean for you to win that award? Oh, it was, I was surprised and honored to receive the reward. I, I just didn't, and I think I said this in my talk is, I just didn't think I had a chance at it because I really didn't, I had a narrow view of what advocacy is. And so when I think of Karen and I think of advocacy, it was like she knows so much about government issues and mm -hmm. state policies. And I just saw that um, as what advocacy was about. 
And it wasn't until I had to prepare for the talk and I talked to a lot of people that I was able to broaden my understanding of advocacy. And so I thank you on that point, not just for the award, because the award is awesome, mm -hmm. but also to make me think more clearly about what I mean by advocacy and how other people see advocacy. And so Karen was a dear friend and would always advocate for me to stand up for myself or stand up for the voiceless in my own way. Like I never felt that I had to do it a particular way. And so, but we never really wrote together or presented together. So this award, I now have her name on my CD forever. And yeah. I just, it's humbling. It's just so awesome to have, to have that and to um, hopefully um, allow other people to see themselves in their work too as advocacy workers. Mm -hmm. Well, and in your talk, you, you did, you walked through the acronym advocacy um, and you had something that stood for each of the letters and they were ask questions, dream, voice, othering, choice, answer the call, courage, and yes. So in looking back and you've had a little bit of time since, since your talk uh, in, which of the messages from the acronym do you want listeners of the podcast to hear? And so make it helping you or forcing you to make some hard choices, but like, what, what do you want to share? It, it is the, the one that I want people to walk away, which what I actually built it around the word courage. Mm. Um, I do a word for of the year and courage is my word this year. And so I was going to put courage for choice, but courage got got better because I think without courage, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to, to do the work because you can talk yourself out of it, right? Because you're afraid of what might happen. And so courage is the one that um, I think everyone should embrace. And in particular, you know, be, have the courage to imagine something more than what it is right now. You don't have to figure out how you're going to do it at that point, but it's just the courage to dream it. And so therefore dream goes with that and asking questions. I think another one that um, I think about is really having the courage to stand up for someone that might not know how to stand up for themselves or even know that they should. And so that takes courage because you never know how others will respond to it. And then the last thing, which goes with the last word, yes, is be brave enough to know that if you hear the word no, you won't break, <laughs> but also smart enough to realize that you have to hear or believe in your own yes before anybody else can. And so to me, that's courage. So all through the year, I have to remind myself, courage. All right, press send. Send it. You know mm -hmm. it's probably going to get rejected the first time, but have the courage to do that because I think a lot of times when I look back on my career, I didn't have the courage to do certain things. I was making sure everything was safe, right? If then, if I do this, then I know this. And so you don't take real risks. You don't go out on a limb and you don't grow. So courage, that's the one. That's the word for the year, people. There you that's go. It. Yep. Nice. And I, I don't, I want to, you know, this is a uh, off script, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just uh, sing your blessings just for, or sing your, uh, uh, missing a word. 
Praises. Praises. Thank you, Dusty. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> um, sing your praises. So I had when I was first starting at this job and trying to figure and basically needed something like this podcast to help figure out what does it mean to be a math teacher educator? I was lucky enough to get an SCCU grant to go travel to the University of Georgia on a little um, trip to visit, you know, the, the great math, math ed minds, uh, at the, uh, at the university of Georgia. And so one thing is I had, uh, Ryan Smith, he put together my schedule and he said, like, I'm going to, uh, Dorothy said, you can come sit in on your, her research group meeting. Mm -hmm. And I think there, I finally figured out what does it mean to like, do this work well, and I got to sit on this meeting where you did some of these things that you did in the, the chat. You had a research group, a bunch of some doc students, and I don't know, maybe there were some other faculty members in there, but a, a, a number of doc students and you were working on a project together and I got to sit in on it and was treated like an equal, but I saw the check-ins like going around, Hey, where's everybody at? Does anyone have any, um, you know, any work, anything worrying about them. And then you get into, you know, looking at the data or, and the, the writing that you're looking at and this like collaborative sort of effort that was going on uh, around this project and seeing like, you know, how that was different than anything I had experienced before, where it was like, you do things on your own and you're, you're going to, you know, sit in the room, burn the candle. And it's just you and, and your work together versus this was a, a collaborative sort of thing. And it was a, a joyful space. And I'm like, this, this is what I want. This is how I want to do research. This is how I want to do the writing that I need to do for this, for this new job that I'm part of. And I've been doing that. And, and like, I see like that sort of work that can happen in together. Right. And we're, smarter together we're better together and then even seeing like the, the uh, there's an amte a few years ago when uh after your the case study book which was the first amte publication that came out with uh and you were running around getting everyone who contributed to that book uh, to sign it and it was like it was like this joy around collaboration and doing this work together it was just kind of an amazing thing to see and like how you know i mean you how many how you bring people in and it's like, hey, we can all do good work together. And, it, and it's, I mean, I just think I, when I saw that you were getting this award, I mean, I kept thinking, I'm like, well, yeah, like the, the work that Dorothy does and the, what she exposed me to for how this job could be done. It was like, I was like, well done. Well done, AMT. That, that was excellent. Thank you for saying that. Um, I didn't experience that, um, you know, early in my career. And so it was nice to have that space. And you taught me about the SEC. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, how did you get here, Joel? You <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, so that information and also grad students throughout my career have just been um, awesome. I, I enjoyed being a grad student at Maryland. We had good times together. Karen and I were grad students together and several other people. And so what having that space for um, the students has really been important, but it's also helpful. They named themselves the council. So, um, and as far as the book and getting, I, it was beyond my imagination. This is why the word dream, like I thought of just a little book, you know, maybe something and, um, and then you get with the right people. It was, um, um, a prompt conference went to that and mm -hmm. it opened up so many doors and it became this thing that is really so 
it's broader, it's bigger, and it's it reaches more. And and I think the last thing is I really like people. Like I'm a people person. I if you meet me, I I, I really like people. And um, so thank you. But also Sandra Crespo and I were in a race to see how many signatures yeah. um, we could get. I think I'm winning. Um, so if she's listening, I'm still winning. Um, but just honoring. I think another thing with the signatures is that. I would tell my students that I know people and they just didn't believe me, right? Mm -hmm. You can't possibly know that big name. And so I started getting signatures from people. And if I can, I take a picture with you too. So this is good. Well, I mean, and, and for those that are not familiar with that research, but that's an, an awesome book that captures like these case studies of interactions within a math teacher education environment. And then like how uh, in an I commentaries about responses and, and like again a uh, beautiful book um that uh, contributing to it too yeah started with started with a dream so one of our things from the acronym yeah. uh dusty and ava that went a lot of different tangents there anything to add i'm trying to like pick what i would like to add and i can't like everything is so amazing um but I do think that the courage piece really resonates with me right now. I think we are needing to be more courageous in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. All right, Dorothy, I'm interested in this one. What okay. makes a good day in your profession? So can you give a specific example? Yes, I can. A good day is... I think a good day or a great day, right? So then I was playing around with that. Well, a good day. And um, so I think I'm going to tell you about a great day. A great day would be that I start the day doing something for me, whether it's meditating, writing, or, or something to get some thoughts. And then I go and teach my class and I rock it. You know, uh -huh. it's on. I mean, students are engaged. They're, you know, talking with each other, they're asking questions related to student thinking and pedagogy, and especially now because of the class Zoom nature of things that you have so many people that don't turn on their cameras. Mm. And so it's hard to engage. So that's a good day. We're talking, we're in person. And then next I have lunch with some colleagues or two. There might be some liquid part to that lunch. <laughs> Um, we laugh. Laughter has to be part of it. We are sharing ideas and sometimes we're just venting, right? So just mm -hmm. that space. I go back, I finish my work at work, meaning, and everyone knows this, I'm not taking anything home with me. I finish work for the day. After dinner, I take a walk. I might be with my walking buddy or I might be with my husband. And then I come home, I eat dessert <laughs> after the walk. And then I watch TV and I go to bed early. That's a great day. Love it. That is a great day. <laughs> Isn't that a great day? <laughs> like, yes, that's it. And so and maybe, you, maybe you got into this a little bit. What do you do for fun? How do you balance things out? Hmm. So I like to hang out with friends. Um, so I'll try to do that, whether it's um, 
work friends where we go to lunch if it's after i like to um dance i like to dance i'm gonna dance in my office people colleagues know oh she's at it again usually just to dance to get out like nobody's watching and i like tv i i I have to realize that um, I like TV and especially commercials because really? I think commercials have to do something and, and sell you something in a way that might be funny. Um, oftentimes I have to figure out what it is, but I did a small for about a year and a half. I worked in advertising. Wow. So commercials are um, interesting to me. And then at the end of the semester, I treat myself to a jigsaw puzzle. And I get lost in it all day, right? And do anything else all day till it's done. It's, you know, good 2,000 pieces or takes about a week or so to get done. But as far as balance, um, I think I have to spend time. My balance comes when I spend some time alone. Like I like people, but I also like the alone time. Mm -hmm. It allows me to reflect and recharge. Um, there's a quote by Joe, um, Joy Harjo, one of the first um, Native American um, poet laureates for the U.S. And she has a quote. She says, you must be friends with silence to hear. And I realized that I've always liked that element of that alone time. And so when I'm at home and you can't, it's silent. I ask, can you hear that? And everyone's no. And I'm like, that's the place. That's the sweet spot. <laughs> so I like to um, have that balance of just some time alone. And I take at least one day off on the weekends. And it's so liberating. I mean, I don't do any work. I don't, I don't work. I don't check emails. I don't do anything unless there's a looming deadline. But just one day, where I just turn it off. Like I'm, I'm, I'm Dorothy. I don't, I don't have a job and it's great. So that's how I try to do the balance. Um, my friend, Ann Wallace would say she works hard and she plays hard. And mm -hmm. so there's that balance that's like, yeah, I like that. So I aspire to do things like that, but that balance of, of quiet time is real important. I can, so I know the difference when I haven't had it. So you can testify to the fact that if you don't respond to your email for a day, like the world doesn't fall apart. It doesn't fall apart. And with students, I'm kind of clear. I tell them at the beginning, whether it's a doc student that I'm advising or my students in my class, I'm like FedEx. You know, if I don't respond in 24 hours, then you can call me. <laughs> you send another one. What happens is students are on a very different time than I am. I get mm -hmm. up early. And they stay up late. So if you emailed me at 2 a.m., I'm probably not going to see it. And um, that one day on the weekend, I really try not to. I try to create that boundary of work and, um, and, and play to really say just one day to turn off. I don't do a lot of electronic stuff anyway. So it's not as hard as it might be for some other people, but it's really nice to just not do it. Now, Mondays, I am screaming every Monday, like, ah, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, I should have listened, I should have read it. But I feel so great every um, Sunday night that I had the weekend. Yeah. So yeah, we, in, in our house, we do no screen Sundays and that's wow. been kind of liberating. And, and also too, my son has been getting into playing catch 
and there's nothing and like just playing with a baseball uh, playing catch which is awesome because you ha- you can't you have to be present right you can't be like yeah, one hand on a phone right. and play You're catch. checking your texts and <laughs> yeah, yeah. catching the ball at the same time yes. and, it's, and it's being present with some, one with at least one other person sometimes other kids get out there and want to do it too it's just like i don't know it's one of those things i'm really like loving uh, and and but yeah I, I love that you point out the fact that you know you can you know ignore the <laughs> that we don't have to work every single day and that you can uh, get away from it. And then also, you know, now that they know, they know that Dr. White doesn't check her email on Sunday. So that's okay. Like, and they'll survive. And so well, I'll check it like Sunday around five, but I won't check it on Saturday. There you go. There you go. I don't check it early Sunday, but I'll, you know, I'll start because you got to, I, I teach on Mondays. Um, so I got to ease in, but there's at least one day. And if I can get two, like the whole weekend, Ooh. oh, oh, it's like butter, you know, everything. <laughs> butter on. So. That's right. Um, so Dorothy, do you have anything to promote? Well, um, I, uh, I feel like the um, person who's a stand-up comic. You know, I'll be in, and so here you go. I'll be in Vegas next year at the annual conference. You know, join me there. Yeah, and that's um, not a joke. If I, hey, a joke. for those of you looking, like uh, the, the AMT proposals are due uh, May fifteenth, and so yeah. get Did them you in there. You can go to Vegas. That we're going to. We've never done that, so yeah. we have to go. Um, but I'm working with some really neat people and I'm not good at tooting my own horn. So I'm just going to say that I'm going to Vegas next year. And, um, well, we'll put a link to the book. We'll put a link to the case study book in the, in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. That sounds good. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, and I would say, you know, going to Google scholar, uh, google dorothy y white and there's some good stuff there too I'll, I'll i'll toot your horn for you there you go um i do have um a little more advice mm, awesome if i had something like to tell people who are just starting out in this field Perfect. and especially from the teaching in i think i would um say to and and i do this and it really reflects and summarize your class after every class, just something to jot down, just to reflect on it. And so I put something, I just have a table and I write things down, just the topics, the links, if you had links, put it in there. But student responses, that's that's important because it allows you to see where you're paying attention. So Joel is going back to like you're saying, paying attention, being there. Mm-hmm. So whether it's just 10, 15 minutes, and it ha- doesn't have to be exactly after, but sometime before you go to your next, just summarize it. And I can go back um, semesters, years to say, yeah, that, that really is a hit. Just keep that one. I think another thing is to make sure that your syllabus is inclusive and clear. Mm-hmm. I did um, how to diversify your training training recently. And one of the things that I learned was the importance of acknowledging that our students have these intersectional identities, right? And that it's not just about you, but there are all of these other courses that they're 
take in that there's life that they're navigating. So somewhere on the syllabus, recognizing that we all have um, lives outside of here and that there are resources available, not just to them about, not just me, but also resources available on campus. I also learned that office hours was a big thing for students who might be first-generation students, that we just usually put office hours the day and a time. But if you've never been to college, you really don't know what office hours are for. Mm. I've added something that I got from our college, like office hours are an opportunity for you to connect with me, chance to ask clarifying questions um, on assignments and find support. And a lot of people don't know that's what office hours are for. It's usually so I'm wondering. You know, Dorothy, I yeah. also did a workshop like that. Mm -hmm. And they suggested we re rename them. And I renamed it as student drop-in hours. Ooh, that's good. Yes, that makes sense. That's, yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that one, and now I'm going to change the student drop-in hour. I think another thing is um, two last things. One, you don't have to revise everything, every course, every semester. As someone said to me, your, new, your current students haven't seen this reading or did this activity. So who are you changing it for? Like if there's something new, great. But if you're just starting out, you need to see what really works well for you and your students. And so constantly changing things, you'll never get a handle on anything well. And so um, doing that. And then lastly, teaching evaluations. They're painful. Um, they can be great. They can be painful, if, especially when you're a person of color or if you include topics that some might seem as controversial like inequities or race or religion. Um, so read evaluations with a purpose and when you're in a good mood. And because you can have 25 students say you were wonderful, but then there's one student that wrote, she's the worst ever. You should fire her. I've had that once. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, get someone to help you also interpret those responses. Certain evaluation items are personal that you can't do anything about. Like, um, how well does the instruct, how knowledgeable of the, is the instructor on this and how well did they organize the content? Uh, I don't know if you know how much knowledge I have in just one semester, right? right? Or what the content is and why I did it that way. So it's important to have someone help and that if you can add your own items that are important to you. So I add, like, what did you learn about teaching elementary students mathematics? I found it rare that a student will say, I learned nothing. I sat here for 15 weeks and I learned nothing. They don't. So that's important to me about what they learned, not whether they think that I did all these things in a way that was as engaging as they would have liked. What aspects of the course do you see yourself using in your future classrooms? And how has the course um, influenced your views about teaching students who are culturally and linguistically diverse? Mm -hmm. Give an example of something you will use. So whatever is important, if you can add those to the evaluation so that when you read the evaluation, you can also see, you might see all of these other things. And I'm not saying that just disregard them because if everybody tells you 
that you don't give feedback. You need to start giving feedback. But there are other things that's important to you that will help you. And it could be that they say, I didn't see anything that I would use in my classrooms. And so then you have something to think about when you are revising something for your class. So those will be some things that I see junior faculty spend a lot of time on teaching, but it's not as effective as they like. It's not clear about what are you doing this for. So that would be some advice I give. I want to second that advice. And I think one of the mistakes I used to make is read the evaluations right after teaching. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think do not read anything at the beginning of summer because it can ruin like a good chunk yes. of your summer. <laughs> so if you wait actually six months or something and then mm-hmm. read them, it's much less personal. Yes. Um, and then the other thing too is if you can't add questions, I like survey my students throughout the term. So you can mm. add those questions other places. Um so that you can get feedback and even do something about it still in that class, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But I've had that too, where like you have that one comment that is just really hits you. And then mm-hmm. I don't know why we obsess so much on that. We would advise everybody else not to, but that's right. we still do. Yes. Or when you want to do service, balancing that out. And a lot of times the service type work that you do Um, you'll take it from research time as opposed to teaching time. And so that can be a problem um, as well. Um, Yeah, sitting in on someone's class, asking to sit in on someone's class is important to get a feel for how this course is taught and things like that. Yeah. Wow, lots of of golden nuggets right there. That was, uh, thank you for... uh inserting those. Anything else before we wrap it up here, Dr. White? No. Uh, well, if you had to give me some advice, the three of you, Dusty, Ava, and Joe, what would you give me as far as moving forward or what's your nugget that you like as a MTE that you do well? Well, what lit me up in your talk was your was your discussion about what you just mentioned at the end here about hanging out in classrooms and you talked about hanging out in elementary classrooms mm-hmm. and just I guess can continuing to advocate for that kind of work and like that it's it's not going to be something that's going to produce a, a publication or a grant proposal or something like immediately it might lead to something like that it might not but just to, to value and say like being in classrooms is a good thing for us to do. And I, I just, I, I, I'm just, I want you to continue um, sharing that message. Cause I know that was powerful for me in your talk. And um, it's something that, you know, I, I, I like to do as well. And, but just to know that, that there's a, there's definite value there um, uh, in, in doing the work of teaching math teachers. That's great. Thank you. That gave Ava and Dusty some time to think about their I, um, I, I would say this may not be a piece of, of advice to you necessarily, but I really am glad that you shared that you take the weekends off. Mm-hmm. I try to share that as well. And especially with summer coming up, 
I yeah. think taking a good chunk of summer off, I do think for some reason, we live in this world and community where we value overworking ourselves. And mm -hmm. it's almost like an you have to apologize if you go on vacation or yes, you work yeah. on weekends. Mm -hmm. And so I, I also try to not work on weekends. I do love the flexibility of the university and especially when you have small kids I love the fact that I could move things around and work on weekends and take time off during the week yes but I think don't forget to like take time off and like literally in the summer take take like weeks off you know so yes. that you stop like stop working so you can restart again Mm -hmm. So I think I just wanted to echo that. Um, that's I think that's really important. And I it's hard when you're early and on the tenure track because of this discourse that we have yes. in our field. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I want to change that. So thanks for saying that. And I just want to second that, that that's important. Let's advocate for changing that. Time. The answer. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Dorothy, my bit of advice, I guess, that I would say, if I could call it that, um, I was thinking about it when you were talking about how uh, on those days when you kind of set aside and said, I'm not working here, I'm just Dorothy, um, mm -hmm. I'm just me. I mean, that's, I think that's my advice is we need remember that you are Dorothy, you know, <laughs> and I need to remember that I'm Dusty and, um, and do you know, keep that in mind. That's, that's like this. I am me. I'm the only me yes. um, that there is, and you're the only you uh, that there is. And so it's important that we're true to who our true selves are and not get when, when, when people realize that you come through for them, uh, that's good. And then they might ask you to do something else, or could you do this? Or how about this? Uh, and there's always a, a constant stream of demands on our time, but we need to remember who we are. And, um, and keep that as the focus. Um, not, not, I'm not saying say no to everybody, um, but just don't lose yourself in the process of, of trying to take care of all those other things. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Those are great advice for everyone listening. Wow. Way to end on a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> Man, serving them up back to us. That's great. <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, for spending that time with us, Dorothy. We really appreciate it. And again, um, I, I can't think of a better recipient of the first uh, Karen D. King uh, Excellence in Advocacy Award. So thank congratulations. Thank you so and much. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And thank you for making my first podcast uh, a hit. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you are able to implement something that you just heard. Lots of golden nuggets in here. And take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. And speaking of interacting, what do you want to hear about in upcoming podcasts? Who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. Find it at the contact us page at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com or in the show notes for this episode.